Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here I can feel the change in the way right now Nothing's in my way Dr. Jeff Sarmine here at the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine in southeastern Pennsylvania. Real special treat tonight. We have Sean Bean on the phone with us. Say hi, Sean. Hi, guys. How you doing? He's, he's definitely there, okay? And we're both going to be lecturing tonight on everything you'd like to know <clears throat> about the thyroid, but we're afraid to ask. And just remember that we have faith in you guys who have chronic diseases and are putting one foot in front of the other because we realize that you truly have faith of the heart and the faith to believe. And you can reach any star because it's going to be your strength that's going to carry you through. And our job is to give you information and help you through that. So let us begin. If you haven't gotten the uh, PDF for tonight's show, you can go to our website, uh, com or uh, www bio-individualmed.com. We're switching over the names. Okay, and it's under the weekly radio show. The PDF will be on the top. Uh, I'll give everybody about 30 seconds to do that. I will say that we have a lot of good changes happening in the office that we'll be introducing you to later on. And uh, we're real excited. Uh, Things are expanding. Our ability to give better services is expanding. And we are researching and just... uh, going wild. It's great. <clears throat> so let's talk about the thyroid, okay? Uh, it's, this is one of the more important glands of the body, okay? The thyroid is a gland that's noted that is located at the base of your neck just below your Adam's apple. And uh, if you look at the picture on page two, okay, it's kind of right on either side, and uh, really you kind of can't feel it unless you know what you're feeling for unless it's got lumps. Uh, you've heard us talk about the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis that runs your um, your stress, uh, your ability to handle stress. There's another axis called the HPT axis, which is the hypothalamus signaling the pituitary gland that in turn signals the thyroid gland. And we're going to go over that in a little bit. And Sean is going to expand on exactly how uh, one can diagnose and uh, treat uh, various thyroid disorders. My job is to give you kind of a kind of a basis. Okay, what's the purpose of the thyroid? Well, the thyroid gland makes and stores and releases thyroid hormones into your blood, and you've heard tell of them. They're like T3 and T4. But the thing is that the thyroid hormones affect about every cell in your body, and they help control your bodily functions. And this is real, real important that you understand that. Uh, you kind of think of your thyroid as the your body's gear shift. So if it's low, you're going to be like a car in third gear trying to go, and if it's up in, uh, you know, in fifth gear, you're just going to be flying. Uh, The thyroid hormones act on about nearly every cell of your body. Uh, They act to increase the basal metabolic rate. Okay, that's how fast your metabolism works. The basal metabolic rate, by definition, is that amount of energy that you need to maintain um, your your weight and your size. And it's um, during 
ancient times when, you know, there was times of plenty and times of not so plenty, the basal metabolic rate would go up and down as a preservation mechanism. I better slow down, otherwise I will keep tripping over my tongue. Hmm? Okay, it affects protein synthesis. It helps long bone growth and together with growth hormone and natural maturation. And it increases your body's sensitivity to catecholamines, such as adrenaline, and that's something by something called permissiveness. And don't forget that if you ever forget what catecholamines mean, because those are the excitatory neurotransmitters, just think about that cat on the hot tin roof. Okay, that's catecholamines. The thyroid hormones are essential to proper development and differentiation of all the cells of the human body. They regulate protein, fat, carbohydrate metabolism. They affect how human cells use energetic compounds. They stimulate vitamin metabolism. And numerous physiologic and pathologic stimuli influence the thyroid hormone synthesis. And thyroid hormone leads to heat generation in humans. That's why when you're hypothyroid, you are cold. I ran into that word permissiveness, and I had to do a slide on it because I didn't know what it meant. (laughs) Got me back to my uh, looking it up. Apparently, permissiveness is a biochemical phenomenon in which the presence of one hormone is required for another hormone to exert its full effect on a target cell. So the thyroid hormone increases the number of receptors available for adrenaline at the latter's target cell. So increasing the effect of adrenaline on that cell. Without thyroid hormone, adrenaline would only have a weak effect. So if you had a fight or flight and you saw a little kid under a car and you didn't have the thyroid hormone, you would not get the full benefit of the fight or flight and be able to pick that car up and flip it over. Okay, and cortisol exerts a permissive effect on growth hormone. That was rather interesting. Anywho, page six. Uh, you, You see this little picture here on the thyroid system. Okay, you have to realize that in our bodies we have negative feedback loops. So when something drops, okay, we start producing things. So in the hypothalamus, there are receptors that kind of test for the thyroid hormones. And if we don't have enough of it, the hypothalamus will release TRH, which is thyrotropin-releasing hormone, which tells our pituitary, okay, to release thyroid-stimulating hormone, okay? The thyroid-stimulating hormone tells the thyroid to produce T4, which is thyroxine, which has only a slight effect on metabolism. And T4 is converted to T3, triiodothyronine, which is the active hormone that stimulates metabolism. And about 80% of this conversion is in the liver the other, and other organs, and 20% is in the thyroid itself. So T3 is the key guy that gets everybody moving, and that's what, effect, what exerts the best effect. You've heard tell of, if you're in thyroid circles at all, okay, you've heard tell of reverse T3. We're always testing for reverse T3. Essentially, reverse T3 is an antithyroid T3. Uh, it will go in, it's a, it's a mirror image, okay, something called an enantiomer, okay, will go in to the receptor, but not allow the thyroid to do anything. So it's kind of a hibernation hormone in times of stress and chronic illness. It will lower your metabolism things that, there's always a little bit of T3 in the body, but things that will increase it are high stress, lots of inflammation, and we're always talking about inflammation. Dieting will do it, okay, and that's the mechanism by which your basal metabolic rate will drop when you're dieting and you kind of get cold and stuff like that. Um, And the fact is that if you have enough, if you have too much reverse T3 and it blocks the T3 receptors, You may have enough T3, but guess what? You're just not going to have enough thyroid function. And I know Sean's going to explain that better than I could. Anyway, thyroid function, you have the picture of the lady here. There's two basic thyroid dysfunctions, hypothyroidism, too low, or hyperthyroidism. Okay, and here's some of the things that you'll see in somebody who is hyperthyroid. They'll start losing their hair. They have the bulgy eyes, which is called exophthalmos. It looks like they're almost scared all the time. They may be sweating. They may have a large um, goiter, which we don't see too much anymore, but it looks like a swelling in the lower neck. 
Okay, the heartbeat will be rapid, difficulty sleeping, heat intolerance. Okay, well, I have heat intolerance, but I'm not hyperthyroid. I'm just a big guy. Okay, irritability, muscle weakness, nervousness, scant menstrual periods, weight loss, frequent bowel movements, warm, moist palms, tremor of the fingers and soft nails. When you think about it, look look at the symptomatology. Difficulty sleeping, irritability, nervousness, okay? How many things can cause that? And how many times have we said that, you know, various diagnoses are not diagnoses and you have to consider all the various factors that may contribute or cause a particular symptom? This is a real good example. On the other side of the spectrum, you've got hypo or low thyroid. The dry, coarse hair, sometimes a loss of eyebrow hair, a puffy face, again, you can have the goiter, maybe a slower heartbeat, arthritis, cold intolerance, depression, listen close, fatigue, forgetfulness, heavy menstrual periods, infertility, muscle aches, weight gain, constipation, brittle nails. Think of all the people out there with fibromyalgia. Okay, that's not a diagnosis. Remember, I, I dislike intensely calling fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, a diagnosis because it doesn't tell you what's wrong. Look at these symptoms. Sound like fibromyalgic symptoms? And guess what? You want to make sure that if you've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is not a diagnosis, by the way, okay, it's not a diagnosis of uh, any kind of entity, that you've been thoroughly checked for thyroid problems, okay? And look at the other little things it can do. It can create... um, constipation, sometimes weight gain, you've been working out like crazy and you can't lose weight. This is the kind of stuff that thyroid, you know, has to be checked for. There's a couple of different kinds of hypothyroidism. There's primary and secondary. Primary hypothyroidism, the thyroid can't produce the hormones that the pituitary is trying to make it produce. Whereas secondary hypothyroidism is the thyroid isn't being stimulated by the pituitary. That can only be diagnosed, both of them, by physicians where people learn it in the area by uh, various testing. I am often faced with, Doc, I think I have hypothyroidism, but my doctor says my labs are normal. What can I do? We all know these days that doctors, the real doctors, not us, will not treat thyroid problems unless you have problems with your lab work, okay? And they keep telling me, that they treat the person, not the lab. And in Klingon, we would say, BNAB, which means you lie. So what can you do to prove to yourself and your doctor that you might have a um, thyroid problem, okay? Well, you can take your temperature, and I really suggest the old stick thermometer. They still have them out there. They're not made with mercury anymore, but I believe that the digitals are not very accurate in the low end. For women, especially women who are cycling, you should take your oral temperature for 10 minutes in the morning for about 14 days and, re- of course, record it. Men, you should take your, ten mi- your oral temperature for 10 minutes in the morning for about five days. Now, if you look at uh, the website, uh, Wilson's Temperature Syndrome, they will have you take your oral temperature three hours after awakening, three hours after that, and three hours after that. For 14 days, you average each day and then average the 14 days. As confusing as that sounds, it's actually more accurate. What are we looking for? And here's the secret. If you average 97.5 or 36.3 centigrade or less on average, you have hypothyroidism regardless of what your lab tests say. I don't care what your lab tests say. That's pathognomonic of hypothyroidism. If you average 98 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.6 centigrade or above, you should consider non-thyroid reasons for your symptoms like adrenals. But if you're between 97.5 and 98, there be dragons, which means you really need interpretation by one of us. Okay, and since I had to say there be dragons, I put a pirate symbol on there. I hope everybody's giggling. Remember that I said everything's kind of interrelated? Well, we talked about the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And then we talked about uh, the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, but there's also a hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, which runs the sex hormones. 
So lots of times if the thyroid is marginal and the adrenals aren't working, you're going to have symptoms of both. And you always have to realize that these guys are always talking to one another. So one goes out, many of them will go out. <clears throat> Before we let Sean let loose on us, okay, there is another thing. There is a, um, the American College of Clinical Endocrinologists uh, gave uh, me permission over here to use their check your neck, checking your thyroid. And the method is here, and I think that it's a good idea because you can check for um, thyroid conditions like nodules, goiter, and they say thyroid cancer. You're not going to know the difference if you're just looking for um, for nodules. Okay, uh, it tells you to stand in front of a mirror, stretch your neck back, swallow water. Okay, look for enlargement in the neck, uh, feel the area to confirm enlargement, and if you have any suspicions, okay, you should see your doctor. So, if you're having some of those symptoms that we mentioned before. Uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea to try checking your own thyroid, okay? And um, if you have any questions, of course, go, go, see your, um, go see your family physician. I gave you a little bit of basis of what the thyroid is and what it does, but the real expert in this area is Sean, and he is on with us right now. So, Sean, take it away. Sure. Good evening, guys. Um, the major thing we want to focus on is, is when you're looking at thyroid, one of the problems that I see in traditional approaches is um, it only tends to look at 20% of the thyroid, okay, problems. What about the other 80%? All right. When you're looking at blood work, you're only looking at serum, okay? The problem is, is that's the well. The other issue you have to contend with is, is you have to worry about the pump and also things that are blocking from getting from the pump out, Okay into the uh, tissue, all right? So the first thing I just explained is, is you always want to look at the thyroid at the blood level first, okay? And this is the typical, uh, this is the typical scenario that people go in and you, you basically say, Doc, I don't feel too good, okay? So you go to an endocrinologist, endocrinologist says, let me check your thyroid. Like, okay, fantastic. You get all excited and stuff, and you're like, you're finally going to get a, doses, a diagnosis of hypothyroid. Well, because of the training they have, and it's really not the fault of the endocrinologist, but always what they're taught, what they'll do is they'll only run maybe one or two tests, okay? The first test is the TSH, okay? The TSH is, is seeing as the pituitary is talking to the thyroid, okay? That's, the, that's basically the downstream from the general. Okay, and the normal TSH runs from 0.45 to 5, okay? Now, in traditional endocrinology, anything that won't get diagnosed has to be, basically, you have to be falling off the cliff before they throw you the rope. So what we try to do here is we try to take a preventive approach, and actually, from when I looked at the last uh, endocrinology guidelines, they were modified down to three, which is nice, okay? But from what I've seen in clinical research, and that's been pretty much close to a decade, when the TSH goes up around 1.75 to 2, that starts to draw a red flag, okay? The next thing you want to look for is the, the, there's total levels and free levels, okay? Most doctors will run what's called a, a T4, and if you're lucky, they'll run a T3, okay? And that will come back, oh, completely normal, okay? The normal ranges, which I've been noticing a lot of the thyroid ranges are starting to drop, okay? And the bottom range was at a higher number two or three years ago than it is now. So what that basically is saying is, is our lab results are now being based upon a society who is running low thyroid but will now be considered the norm. So this is something as a practitioner we have to take in consideration because just the person who's in the normal range doesn't mean that that's suitable for that person, okay? There's a myriad of factors that have to be considered, okay? So if a lot of the cases that I get, they're like, Sean, my, my free T4 or my, my total T4 is an 8, 
and my T3 is in the mid-range. Why am I having these thyroid problems? I said, well, did your doctor check your free levels? Free levels, what are they? Well, free levels are the unbounded form of the total, okay? Um, it's kind of like imagine going to um, a pizza place, okay? You and your friend order pizza, okay? When the order comes out, you order pepperoni on it. Now, the one friend gets a pepperoni full of, or gets a pizza full of pepperoni, the other person gets it shafted. He's like, like, what's this? He said, well, it's a pizza with pepperoni on it, but the amount of pepperoni that was available on one pizza is completely different to another. And that's what I mean by free. It's what's bioavailable to the body, what the body can utilize. And a lot of people have good totals, but they have very low free. So they tend to slip through the cracks. When you're looking at a free T4 level, that's the first one. The next one is the free T3. So if you have a free T3, or if you have a free T4 that is low normal, doctors are going to say, you're fine. But your symptomology is screaming hypothyroidism like crazy. Your body temperature is low. You're constipated. You've got mood swings. Um, you've got stable in your mood. Females may be crying all the time because of uh, estrogen issues that are causing the receptor sites to block up. So there could be multiple reasons why your free T4 is low. And as a practitioner, what Jess and my job is to do is, is to be the metabolic detective and to go in and look to see, okay, I see your T4 is low, you experience symptomology. And since we're, do since we're not medical doctors, we cannot prescribe meds, but we can help educate the person to make the best selective uh, choice on their therapy along with the doctor, okay? And some of the doctors I work with are very, very open-minded, and they may, they may not know everything. So they may take, our, um, they may take what we mentioned into consideration. And sometimes by treating a, a person who has low symptoms, it helps correct the whole cascade as just as nicely mentioned. So looking at the T4, you want your ranges within the mid-range, okay? Somewhere between one, 1 to 1.2 would be susceptible, okay? And then on a free T3 is free T3, as just mentioned, is that's the gas puddle, okay? T, free T4 is the reservoir. T3 is the gas puddle. T4 converts into T3. So if a person has, uh, for example, if a, kid, if a person has lupus, okay, they may have beautiful free, they may have beautiful free T4 levels and total T4 levels, but the doctors may not check the T3 levels or the free T3 levels. So what you'll see is, is you'll see the proper range of T4 levels in the mid-range, which is perfect, but the T3 levels will be dropped down, okay? Because one of the main organs that is a peripheral conversion of T4, T3 is the, actually the kidney, okay? And the kidneys, um, because of society, all the sodium we eat, the adrenals, that's why a lot of people that have adrenal problems may have problems with T4, T3 conversion because the adrenals actually are closely located near the kidneys. So that's why lupus, lupus hits the kidneys really hard, so does diabetes, okay? And diabetes has a lot of um, medicines to have a huge impact on the kidneys. So in most diabetics, you'll see a T4 normal and T3 low. And then the doctor will treat the low, um, the doctor's probably been treating the thyroid for a long time, but the person's still having symptoms. Okay, and when we just not go in to evaluate the situation, we're like, okay, what medicines are you on? I'm on Synthroid. Okay, I'm like, first of all, Synthroid may contain gluten in the first place, uh, which may be a, another problem. And second of all, um, Synthroid may contain dyes or colors that people may have a hyper, hyper reaction to. Um, sometimes people have to get specially compounded formulas because of their sensitivity. Because just and I deal with some of the, we deal with the zebras in the horse's world, okay? Everything that 
that should happen goes opposite way. So we have to take into consideration what type of meds they're on. Uh, not only just the type of meds, but the manufacturer and the brand, because a lot of people don't respond good to Synthroid. They'll respond good to Lavoxyl, but not Synthroid. And Lavoxyl doesn't contain all the additives, all the um, colorings, and it's also gluten-free. So that's one thing. So when you give T4, what's going to happen is the T4, and the T4 is going to go up. Okay, and that's the response you want to get. All right. Now, when you're giving, if, when you're providing thyroid medication, the doctors in traditional medicine are going to treat you via TSH. Okay. This is one of the this is the one of the myths that I want to put to rest. Okay. Once the TS is suppressed, as long as they are not hyperthyroid based upon 3T3 and 3T4 going sky high, the chances of osteoporosis, uh, chances of getting uh, bone loss or increased bone loss and osteoporosis are very, very slim to none, okay? This is the biggest myth that I see. Actually, by being hypothyroid, you're more likely to bring on osteo-bone um, issues because thyroid helps to, is necessary to help proper bone building. Without thyroid, the chain reactions don't work. And one of the things people don't know about thyroid is, is if your thyroid is not adjusted, metabolism of zinc, magnesium, as well as calcium can be disturbed. So when a person, when a practitioner sees elevated calcium in the blood, such as serum calcium, um, they may want to look towards uh, potential hypothyroid problems. When they see alkaline phosphatase below 60, that may be an indication of uh, potential thyroid problems as well. So the goal when looking at the thyroid is not to look at it directly, but to look at the other factors that are going to tell you that it's not being functional, okay? And I'll go over some of those other than the ones I just mentioned. But the typical approach is you go in, the doctor says you have low thyroid, I'll give you T4. You come back, your TSH was, say, 5, okay? You come back, the TSH drops down uh, within the normal range down to 2.5. doctor says you're normal, but they don't go further on to say, okay, what's your free T4, what's your free T3, what's your free T4 to T3 conversion ratio, what's your reverse T3? Because a lot of people that were given Synthroid or T4 only, because of the amount of stress their body's under and because the adrenals were never addressed in the first place, okay? For people out there taking their thyroid meds, I want you to do me a big favor. I want you to go in and look at your thyroid med uh, inserts, okay? It says in big, bold letters, do not administer thyroid medication until, um, or it says, please check, before administering thyroid medicine, please, attract, please check for adrenal insufficiency or, or cortisol deficiency, okay? Not too many doc, traditional doctors do that thoroughly, okay? And that's a, that's a whole other show. But basically, when a person is in an adrenal stress and they're given thyroid and it's not properly treated, it's only going to add more stress to the thyroid, okay? And this is where the phenomenon where people are saying, my numbers are good, I still feel like crap. And then you skip the depression coming in. And the doctors are like, well... I don't see any, I see your TSH is, you know, under 2, your free T4 is good, I mean, your total T4 is good, I don't know what the problem is, go see a shrink, okay, and that's a lot of the cases that I get dealing with is, is they're on thyroid, and they end up going to see a shrink, and then they end up going on antidepressants, when the problem was is not an imbalance in the brain directly, but an imbalance in the thyroid, either directly or indirectly or peripherally, okay? So you always have to look at the underlying cause to why the thyroid's working, okay? And as you start proper treatment, he'll give you more T4, okay? 
then what happens is you're at 50 micrograms, okay? A common phenomenon I see in practice is, is once a person gets over 50 to 66 micrograms of T4, I see there is a huge swing from um, free T4 to reverse T3, okay, in a lot of people, okay? That's because of the amount of stress, the adrenals were never addressed, or there's other factors going on. So in those situations, what you want to do is, is, is work with a clarified practitioner or somebody like myself who would be willing to work with your doctor to maybe help, if they're open-minded, to maybe help them see something that they may have not known about, okay? And in that situation, the whole principle is, is if your T4 converts to, to reverse T3, you don't want to give, you don't want to put more fuel in the fire, okay? So in that situation, by reducing the T4, you are decreasing the amount of reverse T3. And then you would supplement what they call um, cytomel, okay? And use that appropriately under your doctor's supervision, of course, to have the physician dial you in to get the proper free T4 to, to free T4 to free T3 ratio, okay? Sometimes you'll see a lower T4 than T3, free T3, that's fine, okay? That's not a problem. That's because of the um, manipulating the reverse T3, that you're working on the T3. But actually, before you do all of this, you need to do the groundwork, okay? You need to look at what nutrients are deficient, why you're deficient, what's the status of the gut, what's the status of the neurotransmitters. Not too many doctors know that dopamine levels are a huge factor for proper thyroid release and thyroid function. Right, Jess? Correct. Correct. So dopamine is a huge factor that goes into release of the proper thyroid um, proper thyroid <clears throat> free T, proper T3 and T4, okay? You need iodine, you need selenium, you need B2, you need uh, manganese, you need, you need a whole slew of nutrients. So if you're lacking any kind of nutrients and nutrient deficiency, they're not going to make your thyroid, okay? But traditional medicine does not look at this avenue, okay? And this has been the missing link for the tough cases that I deal with. I go after the nutrition because without nutrition and without nutrition, which would be, multi, which would be um, um, minerals and vitamins, you're not going to have these end, you're not going to have the cofactors to make, to have the chemical reactions to take place in order to make your hormones or drive a lot of the enzymatic reactions within your body that can affect you, that can affect your total well-being from head to toe in all kinds of areas. So you always want to start with a good foundational work and eventually come up. Um, a lot of the cases that I deal with personally, I will take them as far as I can by doing, by being the metabolic detective and looking at the, looking at the individual pieces and putting them together to say, hey, because you have heavy metals, this is causing iodine deficiency because mercury will bind with iodine. Okay, so maybe instead of going on thyroid meds right away, maybe we should work on removing the heavy metals, getting that out of your system, working on your blown adrenal glands first to see if we can get the thyroid going on its own, okay? Because thyroid medicine is one of these medicines is, is once you start it, it's usually for life, okay, if all of the factors have been ruled out. But I know personally that I was on a super high dose of thyroid medicine and I was able to get off of it, okay, which a lot of people told me was impossible to do, but because I did the foundational work, because I have a good, strong knowledge of enzymatic reactions that go deeper at the molecular levels, I was able to pull myself off of hydrocortisone, 20 milligrams for three years, I was also able to pull myself off two and a half grains of armor thyroid with 20, 25 mics T3 a day, okay? The way I did it, I wouldn't recommend it. I'm not going to mention how I did it because it would kill somebody. <laughs> but because I, I was, because I was tired of being reliant on meds and chasing, and chasing, the, um, you know, chasing the rabbit down the rabbit hole, um, 
and adjusting everything, I decided one day, you know what, enough is enough, and it took me four months to prep myself to come off of it. But I, like I said, the way I did it, I wouldn't recommend doing it because it probably would turn a person into a tailspin. But since I knew my body and I understand the, the deeper, I understood the more complex chemistry, I was able to pull it off. But I, I don't even do this with my I don't even have doctors that I work with do this approach, okay, because it will literally potentially kill you. But his own saying is, is what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, okay. But that, that statement, what only don't kill you, made me wiser because I understood by using myself as a human lab rat, which I have used myself many a times in relationship to thyroid. I've been on Wilson's protocol. I've been on thyroid. I've been on T4, T3. You name it, I've been through it. That's one of the advantages that I have over other practitioners is, is that all these people that have been through the gamut, which is great, but been through the gamut, understanding the chemistry behind it, is the most crucial thing. And it's always like uh, Jess, you know, about you tell your sons, you know, don't think, don't think about trying it because I already did it before. So right. that's kind of it's anal- that's kind of the analogy I use. Said, listen, been there, did that, done that. Okay. But what we can do is, is I can take my experiences and show you how to do things properly to avoid the pitfalls and end up, you know, to avoid ending up in the ER room, which I ended up three times. I was almost clinically dead twice because of trying to get off adrenals support when the main problem was is nothing that was biologically wrong. It was other factors in my life that I hadn't come to terms with that was fighting my inner demons. And once I got rid of, my, once I got rid of that factor, made, made coming off everything easy. So, again, you have to look at the person as a whole in order to know what direction to go, Okay. Going back to the thyroid, okay, you want to look for, number one, nutritional deficiencies, magnesium, manganese, zinc, uh, iodine, selenium, copper. So pretty much every mineral that we take in has a huge function to the thyroid, okay, either good or bad. So we want to look at the ratios. Um, zinc, tends to speed, zinc tends to speed things up. Copper tends to slow it down. So if a person's copper, if a person's copper toxic, they're going to have a slower thyroid because it's going to put the thyroid into a jam, okay? So um, when your doctor comes to you, the type of medication they have is, is there's synthetic and there's natural, okay? There's time to use synthetic and there's time to use natural, okay? I know some people on certain boards, none mentioned, that are big um, natural thyroid, but I'll tell you from clinical experience, okay? When the body is in a state of Hajimoto's, that is severe, Okay, when a person has Hajimoto's, the body is attacking its own thyroid. Okay, now some people do good on nat- natrothyroid, other people do good on synthroid or synthetics. Let me tell you how I get around this. Okay, number one, one of the things I've learned from uh, a wonderful doctor from ZRT Labs, uh, Dr. Um, McAllister, is sometimes if you would use a thymus gland, because a lot of Hajimoto's has to do with inflammation, okay? The source of inflammation usually comes and it usually hits the thymus gland, okay? So using thymus extract in certain situations has helped people lower their antibodies, okay? Um, other situations, by using selenium, okay? Because a lot, of doc- a lot of time doctors and stuff, even running across, you know, people that I run into who've gone to some of the best doctors, tend to forget to check antibodies, okay? Antibodies are crucial, okay? These are the type of people that your thyroid looks impeccable, but then you have the antibodies, okay? The antibodies are chewing up the thyroid, okay? It's it's basically on self-destruct mode, okay? And the only way to get rid of your antibodies is, number one, go back to the foundational work, which is remove gluten, soy, and dairy. Get the inflammation out of there, okay? I cannot tell you how many times how many scientific articles are stating that celiac or gluten intolerance is linked to other autoimmune disorders, okay? 
Several people that I had that were Hajimoto's that were in the six to 800 range, we were able to control the Hajimoto's by getting rid of gluten out of their diet, okay? And that meant cross-contamination and everything, okay? So when people say, I'm going gluten-free, gluten-free means if you have severe Hajimoto's, gluten means free to everything. That means cross-reactions, everything. That means if somebody went out to eat and they had a steak and it had, um, and it had um, seasoning on it, or it was had some type of gluten in it, and they cooked it on the same thing, that's not gluten-free, okay? There's so, there's so many people out there that are so sensitive that a micron of gluten will cause them, every, all the work you did was undone. So you've got to be incredibly diligent about this. And the antibodies will actually start to drop over a three- to six-month period. It's not going to be an overnight thing, people, okay? Um, it took you years to get into this position. It's going to take you some time to get back to normal function, okay? You will improve as time goes on, but everybody's body's different, okay? When dealing with Hajimoto's, it's a slow and gradual process, okay? Another way we can get around Hajimoto's is, um, is using selenium. Selenium, 400, micro, four, 200 to 400 milligram, uh, micrograms of selenium uh, monomethionine. Um, works great. It's also shown in clinical studies, too, that it helps to lower antibodies, okay? One of the biggest things you have to watch when you're dealing with Hajimoto's is, is iodine, okay? Iodine and selenium have a synergistic effect, okay? Sometimes a person with Hajimoto's may be able to get away by starting the selenium first, okay, and then bringing in the iodine later, okay? This is why you test, okay? to check the red blood cell to see if selenium is there, okay? Um, I'm not going to go down that pathway, but this brings in how methylation cycle is tied into, okay? Because the methylation cycle is a huge factor into thyroid, okay? Um, and we're going to get to that. We'll get to that later on, okay? But please have your minerals checked. If your, if your selenium is down, that means your thyroid is not recycling itself properly, Okay? I mean, that means your glutathione is not recycling properly, okay? If your glutathione is not recycling properly, it's become oxidized glutathione, which is not good, okay? So basically, the oxidized glutathione has to be recycled back into usable glutathione called reduced glutathione that's bioavailable to your body, okay? If a person has higher oxidative stress, what's going to happen is, is they're going to have probably their body's going to downregulate its metabolism in, in order to go into conservation mode. Okay, this happens with a lot of athletes that, I, that I'm working with that have been damaged by um, idiotic trainers that don't know how to properly um, use nutrition to heal the body, but rather have their athletes and stuff do excess amounts of exercise, cardio mainly, as, long, as well as go on restricted diets to drop body fat down, okay? Um, the only the big problem with that is is it creates oxidative stress. Their body's already at a, their body's already in, in a stress state before they even begin the process, and then they end up with issues dealing with um, then they end up with issue, issues dealing with all kinds of HPT access um, dysfunction, adrenals, gut, nervous system, immune system. It's it's a mess. Um, and that's, that's a whole other show. But basically, oxidative stress has a huge impact on proper thyroid function because of its relationship with glutathione. Um, in some of the research I've seen, glutathione has a, has a factor in, number one, thyroid binding at the receptor sites because if the body's not methylating properly, the thyroid hormones aren't going to work right at the uh, receptor level. Number two is... is the proper glutathione levels are needed uh, for conversion of T4 to T3. Did you say proper so, glutathione levels? Yeah, glutathione is needed for proper conversion to T4 to T3. Okay. So it, it, it all goes, Jess, it all goes, back to, it all goes back to what Dr. Lynch has been saying, what mm -hmm. we've been saying, everything. Oxidative stress causes, you know, Inflammation the in the body. Inflammation, inflammation, the body. inflammation, inflammation. It all is. going back to inflammation. So if you could, if you could uh, uh, because you're, um, you're 
flying pretty high there for a little bit. Uh, how about we bring it down to earth and, and give everybody a list. If they're going to see their doctor, kind of just give them a list of what they should be looking for. You know, you were mentioning about the minerals and so forth. Uh, can you simplify it down to a list so they can have a general idea of what they should be doing? Um, if you go in for clinical testing, what you want to ask for is, number one, is you want to get proper adrenal analysis. Uh, in that situation, I check ACT. I, I recommend the doctor check ACTH. Um, I recommend that they check um, four-point cortisol saliva test. Um, you also want to look at the peripheral issues, okay, homocysteine levels. If homocysteine levels are high, it could be indication. High or low homocysteine levels can be a problematic in thyroid function, okay? You want to look at coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 can be indication of low thyroid. DHEAS could be an indication of thyroid. Sometimes when you get your thyroid checked, DHEAS comes up, okay? You also want to look at um, IGF-1, okay? Sometimes getting your um, thyroid functioning properly will get your IGF-1 going, which is your growth hormone level. Um, you also want to look at insulin, too, because insulin could be a major factor in, in preventing the conversion of T4 to T3. Um, you want to look at SHBG. SHBG is huge because if you're hypothyroid, hypothyroid, SHBG would be low. If you're hyperthyroid, it tends to be a little higher. So that's why when people go on thyroid meds, they, tend, they might lose their sexual um, libido, their mojo, because the thyroid is actually binding up their testosterone levels so that um, it's becoming unbioavailable, both in male and female. I see that mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, with people. So check your TSH or check your SHBG. Um, the typical thyroid panel that I like to suggest is number one, you want to check the lipids, okay? Lipids are another source. If you have high cholesterol, okay? People who are on statin drugs, okay? This is huge. If your cholesterol level is high, okay? Your LPA is high, okay? That's an indication of potential thyroid problems, okay? I can't tell you how many times that I caught this, and when we've properly adjusted with the doctor's help, the thyroid, the, um, the cholesterol level came straight on down, okay? Um, other factors you want to check into is pregnenolone. Pregnenolone is huge. If pregnenolone is low, thyroid is probably going to be low as well, okay? Because um, thyroid is needed to convert uh, cholesterol into pregnenolone, all right? So is vitamin A. Um, you want to look at, when you're looking at thyroid versus T3, you also want to look at T3 free, T4 free. Total T4, you also want to look at TPOAB, which is one of your antibodies. You also want to look at thyroid globulin AB, okay? And if you suspect um, estrogen issues, then you want to look into thyroid binding globulin because estrogen will cause a downregulation of thyroid receptors. So women in estrogen dominance who think it's their thyroid, guess what? It's actually the estrogen blocking receptor site for the thyroid to do its job. Um, other factors is vitamin D. Vitamin D is crucial. Vitamin D is just not a hormone, or it's just not a mineral. It's also a hormone. Okay? Um, you've got, those are pretty much the main ones. Also ferritin. If your ferritin level is low, your thyroid will not um, work properly. Okay, basically when your ferritin levels are low and your cortisol levels are low, basically your well's full and your pump's broken, okay? You've got to work on the pumping system. Sometimes you work on the pumping system, if they have high TSH, guess what happens? If you have high TSH with, low normal, uh, with high normal levels, you work on the pump, which would be the cortisol levels and the ferritin levels, and they will drop the TSH straight down, okay? So therefore, no medication will be necessary just by addressing the secondary factors that are affecting mm. it in the first place. So the, the takeaway here, the takeaway here is that you can have what appears to be or what is functionally thyroid problems, but it doesn't necessarily have to be treated with thyroid medication. No. Um, a lot of the thyroid cases that I see, if they were, start, if they were done from the get-go right, I would probably say my estimate, probably 60% or more could have been prevented uh, who didn't actually need thyroid. Or now now the big question, if, you have, if you've been on thyroid medicines, is there any reversal of that? 
can you get someone off thyroid medicine by taking care of the peripheral factors? That is that is the $64 million question. The only thing I, I know. Can say That's why is, I asked it. <laughs> I did it, okay? And I told it would be impossible to do, but I did it, and I have the documentation from my doctor as well as my blood testing results that have been um, clean for almost four years going on now. So it is possible. It's a, it's a chore. It's difficult to do, and you have to be very methodical. You have to look under every rock and stone. But as long as you can provide the medical justification and support it with the proper information, um, then it is highly possible. Okay. And I'm sure but that it, that's, uh, that's the question that everybody that was on everybody's it, mind. It, it is possible, but the thing is, is I will not touch anybody, okay, and try to do this on my own unless they are under doctor supervision, okay? Absolutely. Because you, you can kill it's a dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous it thing. The thyroid, thing. messing with the thyroid is a, dangerous, is a dangerous game to play, okay? And even though we treat people like this all the time, even we're incredibly careful, okay, yes. because we last thing – we believe in the first line of the Hippocratic Oath, prima no cessare. First, do no harm, okay? And um, so that means we have to really be up on our game doing this. Sean, you're like a wealth of information. You're amazing. You really are. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, like, go back through this and try and write this up and put it on the website. <clears throat> At this time, uh, we're going to – just a couple of minutes, we're going to open up for questions and answers. So if anybody would like to call in with questions, uh, the number is 646-595-2277. Sean and I will both be on and be able to answer. Uh, while people are calling in, I do want to um, make an announcement. Uh, we have a, a medical physician who is joining our group. Uh, her name is uh, Mary Karshuba, and she'll be consulting at her office uh, starting April 22nd. Uh, Dr. Karshuba has graduated from Pennsylvania State University College of Medicine, did her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Rutgers. Uh, many years ago, she became disillusioned with traditional medicine and since has pursued further studies in holistic and alternative medicine. Uh, not only is she board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation, she is certified by the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine and is, and is a Reiki master. Uh, she will be evaluating patients and prescribing IV nutritional therapy at our office, which would include things like the high-dose vitamin C infusions, glutathione detoxification, age management infusions, and much more. Uh, anybody who's interested in learning more or uh, making an appointment with Dr. Karshuba can call our number at 610-449-9716 and uh, talk with Megan. She, uh, Dr. Karshuba will be here on Tuesday evening starting April 22nd, and I know that appointments are going to fill up really, really fast, so if you're interested, you should call soon. And we're very excited to have her. She's an incredibly intelligent woman, uh, one of the uh, most motivated people I've ever met, and uh, she's very, very interested in um, making sure that people, especially people with chronic diseases, heal. Uh, so it's time to call in with your questions. Uh, we do have a new website uh, bioindividualmed.com. It's a website in progress, people. Okay, so when you get on it, you're going to find little glitches here and there, but it is, um, you know, we're getting, we're working on it on a uh, on a regular basis. We're trying to make things more streamlined for you to get your consults and questions to Sean and I, and of course to Dr. Mary. And um, I would like to know if anybody has any questions because we have about six seven minutes left. And I'm sure that um, people out there would like to uh, pepper us with questions about thyroid disease. Uh, if you'd like to, again, if you'd like to uh, get a consult with either Sean or myself or Dr. Karshuba, you can email us by filling out the contact form at bioindividualmed.com. Okay, uh, we can also be reached at info at bioindividualmed.com. Uh, and just let us, when you call or contact us, let the, uh, if you email, let the person know or let the uh, email know who it is you'd like to get in a consultation with, and Megan will um, uh, take care of that for you. So come on. I know there's somebody out there with a question. Okay. Anybody out there? I see you breathe. I hear you breathing. 
you know? Hmm. So, Sean, it seems almost that um, it's almost kind of daunting looking at the thyroid, okay? It's... Um, uh, it, there doesn't seem to be an easy way to look at it because it's, uh, I, I guess, because it's involved in everything. Um, and you've, you know, I certainly learned several things from listening to you tonight, but, oh, here comes a question. Hold on. Okay, uh, person from 210 area code, you're on the air with Sean and Dr. Jess. Are you there? Yes, I'm right here. Um, I want to know your philosophy on goitrogenic foods in the thyroid. Gordogenic foods, as long as the foods are cooked, it deactivates the gordogens. Um, if you have a lot of soy in your diet, such as soy milk, I would suggest to remove it because soy will prevent the, soy will prevent the uptake of iodine into the tissue. Okay. Soy, soy in certain situations can also be estrogenic, which also block the receptor sites. So the thyroid okay. would do its job. Now, is that advice that you would give anyone who is having um, sluggish thyroid issues? Um, in general, it depends on, number one is, is, you know, I would check their iodine levels through urine or a 24-hour urine challenge. Um, a ZRT would be a good lab to check that from. But you also have to just take into consideration the case history. Um, and exactly how much have they been consuming, how long they consuming, and what are the factors that go into the evaluation of why they have thyroid problems. Okay. So it would depend on the individual, maybe? It depends always. on the individual. Absolutely. Always. always. Which, is, which always is the reason, yeah, which is the reason Sean and I created the bio-individualized medicine concept, because uh, too many people are being treated by protocol, and not individually. And right. we treat people individually. We consider their very individualized um, physiology. And um, a lot of people are using the word individualized these days, but if you would see the amount of work we go through to make sure that each person gets a very, very specific uh, plan that is geared towards their exact problem and their exact physiology, you'd be surprised. Other people are kind of just waving the flag but um, no, we actually we actually do this, and um, yes, it is individualized. Okay. So, so basically, basically in that situation is, is if you think of it goitrogenic, then I would heat them will deactivate them. Okay. Um, right. Malay is Malay is one of the biggest ones that slips through the cracks because people going on gluten free diets they tend to eat a lot of Malay, um, and that can cause a lot of problems. Okay. Okay. Very good. I I appreciate it. Thank you. No, no problem. problem. There's a couple of questions here, Sean. One is: Does I does is iodine required? I'm sorry. Does iodine require vitamin A for uptake? Yes, that's correct. It also it also requires MTHFR for uptake too. If a person has MTHFR uh, defect, their iodine transport, I believe, is called NIS or NSI. I get them mixed up. It's NSI, I think. It's uh, it's a transport system by which iodine gets uptake into the cell. And if the methylation cycle is not working, that's why you need B2 and riboflavin. Um, and also riboflavin, phosphate, and magnesium. So basically, to increase iodine uptake into the cell, you need vitamin A, you need vitamin D, you need um, B2, riboflavin, and you also, of course, need proper methylation working through in order for that to occur. There's another question that says, what about foods like broccoli? I think this goes back to the glutagens. Um I guess uh, they want to know if you need to cut or lower these uh, as these are good cancer-fighting foods. Um, cancer-fighting foods and stuff may be good in one aspect, may be bad in another aspect. So you kind of have to take the good and the bad with them. So mm -hmm. you always have to take lesser, you always want to take the lesser of two evils. So in that situation, I would t recommend people to reduce them uh, as mm -hmm. much as possible mm -hmm. uh, to maybe uh, about one-third of what they're normally doing, okay? It's, it's always not about taking everything out. It's always about moderation, okay? Because right. when you take everything right. out, you're not going to get a good compliance, and people are right. going to get upset, 
and their variety of foods going to drop. So you want to work in the confinements of a person's um, comfort zone, okay? I mean, right. if you have some situations, you may have to remove certain foods like gluten and so forth. But uh, normally I tell people, suggest people said, you know, remove them. If you don't need them, get them out of there. And it's it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, because, um, like, one second, it's going to count us down, but it'll be okay. Uh, that broccoli especially, I mean, it could be a sulfur issue. It could be uh, you could be using it to fight cancer. It could be a glutagen. But it depends on the individual and the individual's uh, needs uh, and, frankly, what their epigenetics look like and how much of a problem the um, – the uh, what you can call it the uh, uh, the CBS pathway or any other pathway might mm-hmm. have my gosh the whole thing just went away <laughs> I think this I think the system logged everybody out oh well good so enough well my, they just uh, the whole key the whole uh, queue just went blink and everybody left and it looks like the it happened so fast that I think the system did it well if there's anybody out there listening I thank you for listening. And uh, next week we'll have another great show. And um, just understand, we're on your side. Thanks so much.